0: Doug is one of our oldest supporters and one of the best people that you'll ever meet. You'll learn more today about analytics than you've probably learned in a very long time. Remember, if you enjoyed the show, be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe. Thanks, guys. Explore the minds and marketing strategies behind today's winning brands and businesses. Tap into the power of the creator economy with Earned by Creator IQ. Here's Connor Begley. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Earned. Thanks for joining today. Today, I have Doug Jensen, the SVP of Go-To-Market Analytics and Activation within the Center of Excellence uh, at Estee Lauder. Thanks for joining the show, Doug. Thanks, Connor. It's been a long time. We've known each other for, what, about 10 years. So it's an
1: honor and privilege to join you today.
0: Yes, it all goes back to that infamous folder you had with the uh, when I, I came to your office in New York. You said, "Let's talk about these this data that you have here." Uh, <laughs> way back when. Yes, you did
1: make a splash, and you guys still do that with how you publish things in uh, WWD and Beauty Inc. So, yes, that was indeed uh, that was a long time ago, Connor. So, you've grown yeah. as a company
0: a long way. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you personally were one of our earliest uh, advocates and believers. So thank you for all of the things that you contributed to our success.
1: Of course. I'm happy to be
0: here. So let's kind of do a quick brag reel on uh, on Doug. So Doug has been at SA for about nine years, um, and we should talk about what your role is. So it's going to be the first question, just, just so that people know what you focus on. Um, prior to that, you held senior analytics roles, VP, SVP at IRI, Nielsen, Avon, um, you've got some board advisor roles, et cetera. So you're somebody that spent a lot of time looking at analytics, marketing, how this affects, and particularly how this affects um, kind of this consumer products industries and beauty in particular over the last, you know, close to decade. And so um, really excited to have you in. I think you're going to provide a very unique perspective. We've had a lot of operators. We've had founders. We've had entrepreneurs. We've had, you know, uh, Wall Street analysts. I think you're, but your role, you're the first person to come in with kind of pure analytics focus, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, I, I do have a unique role at Estee Lauder companies and I would say unique in the beauty industry and maybe in larger or more other industries. So I've been at Estee Lauder, as you said, for about nine years and I wear uh, basically a variety of roles within the analytics space. So in my current role, I look after CRM engagement, CRM activation, general marketing analytics, I am in charge of our MarTech operations. I do competitive and marketing intelligence. I do earned media measurement and social listening analytics, marketing mix modeling, which is my expertise and what I'm um, really most passionate about. And we'll talk today about how we use that to measure earned media. And then I'm also in charge of enterprise-wide marketing training. So as it relates to this conversation, we'll talk about earned media for the most part. And yeah, so, you know, sure. my, my journey that- has been really interesting from a marketing analytics perspective. I was in university studying journalism and statistics. And my very first job at AC Nielsen was to basically use statistical models to measure advertising, which is a former journalism. So for the 30 years I've been in the business, I have really been focused on that that core sweet spot of of measurement. And I would say my journey has been, you know, from being a, a Statistical analyst to going into uh, all companies within the CPG space on the vendor side, and then about 15 years ago, I made the choice to go to the client side, so Avon and, and OSD Lauder. So my career journey has been from statistical analyst to business consultant to uh, beauty analytics expert, meaning uh, expert uh, expertise within the beauty industry.
0: Well, I think what's fascinating about kind of analytics and I remember having this conversation with Steve, who is our only board. So the board members were John, me, and then Steve, who's been a CFO for maybe uh, 25, 30 years, very successfully in the software space. And he said the reason he loved being CFO is like when you have all the numbers, he's like, you know, all the levers of the business, right? What drives what, what works well, why this works within this He's like it ends up being really critical to decision making which is, I think for you, got to be really fun to just like have access to everything, right? And be able to see kind of what works and what doesn't. And I know personally, that's something that I've always been attracted to. And probably part of the reason that Tribe is so focused on the analytics uh, analytics work. Um, is, that, is that kind of what attracted you to that space in the first place? Or what was it that made you want to kind of dive in?
1: Well, you know, as I said, I, I landed my first job at the intersection of using statistics to measure advertising. And from there, I basically did analytics across a whole host of clients on the vendor side. So worked at AC Nielsen and information resources. And those two companies collect data from grocery, drug, and mass merchandiser stores. So at the disposal, you have all the consumer sell-through information. And so then what we would do is then complement that and, and measure advertising, GRPs, and pricing, and, and you name it. So it was really cool to be a kid in the candy store with these companies who had all that data. So the way that I think about moving into the client side is that you, you want to move into the client side to be closer to where the decisions are being made. And that's really what I found the most uh, rewarding is that whatever data you have at a given company. And, you know, in our company, we, we have a, a lot of first party data. We have a lot of second party data and so on. So the ability to measure all of that and then make better business decisions by working closely with brands and, the brand presidents, our heads of marketing, that's what really is uh, fun about my job today. So the transformation of working on a vendor side across clients to now going deep within a given company, uh, especially in the beauty industry has been really exciting. And I think the other thing I would say about the industry that you're in, I mean, Prestige Beauty, as you you know, is a really attractive industry. It's been growing at almost 10% globally. And it has been for a few years. And, you know, many markets and many categories are growing even above that. So um, my unsolicited advice to any young person listening to us is you always want to start your career in an industry that's growing because, you know, that, that growth drives opportunity. It's when you're working in declining industries that really is difficult and you're always doing non-sustainable activities like cost cutting. I, I know that I've been in many industries like magazine publishing that was in decline. So it's not as fun as, as beauty. So beauty is a really attractive and fun category.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I give the exact same advice to people. And the way I, I've always explained it is like, you can imagine, you know, so if you're at a company that's growing, say 50% a year, right? what happens? Well, jobs are created at roughly 50% a year, right? That's roughly how many people are going to be added to the company, right? Plus or minus. And so what that means is that like, okay, there's a new management role that was created above you. And generally there's a preference inside of those companies to promote from within rather than to hire outside, right? Cause they know who you are, you know, the business, et cetera. And so what it allows you to do as a young person is to get the opportunity for advancement in your career much more quickly than a company that's in decline, right? Where like the only way for you to go up in a company that's in decline is to actually have somebody leave, right? Or get fired or whatever. Like that's the only <laughs> way for you to move up. And so um, it just makes it much more difficult to kind of uh, to, to grow in your career. Um, if you had to give kind of an ideal path when it comes to analytics specifically, you know, because again, I think part of the people that are listening to this are the CMOs, et cetera, but part of them are, you know, junior people that are looking to move up in their careers. Um, you know, would you recommend they go to kind of the vendor side, like a, a Nielsen or somebody else that's more kind of the digitally focused analytics side of things? Or would you say go kind of brand side, brand side first?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And by the way, everyone should listen to you about career advice. You, you definitely have a lot to, to say there. Um, So from my perspective on that question, I think marketing analytics is an, an attractive space. It's relatively new relative to marketing, I would say. And so I would say if you're an inquisitive person, analytics is for you. I mentioned my university education, which was a nice mix of journalism and statistics. And so from journalism, what I learned is how to ask questions and how to ask the next question and how to keep asking the next question to get to the truth or to get to the why. And then from statistics, I learned skills to imply that inquisitiveness. So how do you apply models or other frames of reference within measurement to really measure everything and get to measurable business outcomes? So analytics as a practice has been around for a few decades, but I think focusing on it earlier in your career can take you further. And to your question, I would say starting on a vendor side, it doesn't have to be a Nielsen or an IRI. You could be with a digital marketing agency or some place where you're looking to learn across categories. I think that's one of the things that was strong about my career is that I learned a lot from just analyzing category X to category Y and, and applying that. Um, the other thing I would say about analytics as an industry is that you know, for every 10 marketers, there's one marketing analytics person. So mm-hmm. your opportunity to rise in an organization, in my point of view, is you're competing with a lot less people, especially if you do your job well. And I think the other piece of advice I have for analytics people and anyone in the world um, is to really, if you're in marketing or marketing analytics, how do you strive to deliver strong insights? And what I mean by that is you really listen to a marketer's question and then you deliver the answer to that question. And then you follow up with that business partner or that marketer to ensure that the analytics understood Um, That that whole journey of that cycle really makes you become a trusted business partner, and I think that's what I've strived to do over my career is how to make sure that I'm listening, answering questions, and then coming back and making sure that, A, that people understand the analytics and what to do with them, but then to be there to make sure that the decisions are supported by the analytics and to be that trusted advisor. Um, one of the th- ways I was able to do that in my career is through uh, an in- industry technique called marketing mix modeling, which many people have heard of and some younger people have not. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it is leveraged by all major companies in assessing the incremental sales and, you know, contribution across the entire marketing funnel. Our company hired me to drive and build that capability and most companies have had it. You know, Procter & Gamble has had it for 30 years, our company for about eight years And we're using that. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, today. We use marketing mix modeling to measure all of the different marketing and media elements, including earned media. And it's been our way to prove to ourselves that the earned media investments we're doing are paying off.
0: So talk to me kind of high level, like if you were explaining marketing mix modeling to somebody that was entirely new, like, what does that process look like? Like, what are you, what are you doing? What's the goals? What are the inputs, all those things?
1: Yeah, good, good question. So marketing mix modeling is essentially you're explaining some uh, dependent variable. And that could be sales, it could be uh, search, it could be traffic. And then what you do is you build models to take all the other what we call independent variables, which are the, ex- the explanatory variables that explain the dependent variable. So what we are doing in, at our company is we build models at upper funnel which is desirability is what we call it, and we look at Google search volume. And so if a brand, let's say one of our brands is Clinique, if more people search for the brand Clinique in Google search, driven by the other marketing levers, then that's what we're explaining in the model. Mm -hmm. And if you take a model on traffic, you're trying to figure out, are people coming to your site more often because you did some marketing or media um, element? Models were always built on sales, which is bottom of the funnel. But for us, what was interesting is that early on and using your data in particular, I want to say like five, six years ago, we were trying to figure out whether influencer marketing and influencer EMV was driving sales. And we initially couldn't detect a relationship. And what we realized is you're not always looking for a direct sales relationship. You're looking to see whether influencers and creators are driving desirability and then driving traffic and then ultimately driving sales. And mm-hmm. by changing our approach to measure all parts of the funnel, we're actually able to show and prove that it's, it's a strong ROI. Um, I think the other thing that I would say is you you need to use an agency. So when you asked earlier, should you work on a client side or work on a vendor side? Mm-hmm. The other idea is to um, go deep into these kind of models, uh, either attribution models or marketing mix models, and learn how to bring that kind of core measurement over time, analyze it across um, companies and then uh, bring it to to the client side, which is what I did later in my career. So my ability to know what those models are and then be the arbiter of the results of them with our brands and our brand marketers has been um, kind of the core sweet spot of how I've grown in my career.
0: Yeah. the uh, The concept of using Google search data to then measure like basically consumer interest, right? Is this driving consumers to want to look for us is like both like obvious when you say it but like not something that people talk about right it's like oh yeah well like that's a really clear indication of like interest for people that may buy or just i don't know it's i i love it and then i think on the kind of like early career thing i can't remember who it was that i was listening to but was basically saying like you know we teach calculus in high school but like how often do you use calculus right like Almost, <laughs> so you know, almost so every role yeah. these days, though, right? Like within business, requires some base level understanding of statistics, analytics, how to use Excel, right? Like, and then how to present that information in a way that's compelling and makes sense, and like is statistically accurate, et cetera. And like, that's not a like statistics should really be like one of the core things that you're taught um, as a high schooler, right? And then into college as well. Um, it just isn't.
1: Yeah, I, it isn't. And you're right about calculus. So I was one of those guys uh, in calculus. I loved math, and at the time in the university, I was focused first on journalism. So I, I distinctly remember being in sophomore year calculus because I love math so much, and the professor was going around the the room saying the name and the the degree or the major of the person, and you know, person X electrical engineering person, why computer engineering, Doug Jensen, journalism. He's like, Are you sure you're in the right place? And I was like, I don't know. I just love math. So when I told you I found the first job combining both, that was, that was kind of cool. Uh, I would say you're right about uh, you know, statistics and, and economics can be very daunting and intimidating to a lot of people. I have talked to a lot of marketers who feel, many feel like it's so off-putting. And so one of the things that I try to do i really think about this a lot connor when i'm talking about a model i don't go into the nerdy parts about how you build the model i try to convince people that these models have been around for 30 years they are trusted you know trust me as as your business advisor that i wouldn't bring something to you that i didn't think worked Mm -hmm. and then let's have a conversation about what the results show and then what you know obviously what are the insights to action we should do with them so I'm trying to transform, you know, the conversation to get more into what are we going to do about that. And, you know, we'll talk more about this. But what we're using the models for is to go fairly granular in terms of making decisions. Should we be in uh, Meta's Facebook um, and doing paid social and doing, you know, video versus static images? Should we be doing online video in, um, you know, Roku versus YouTube? Like. The, the placement of where you can actually put your marketing and media is incredibly interesting. And then of course in the earned media space, um, we actually look at it two different ways. We, we put the influencer creators on one side of the equation and then we put, you know, how do you harness or generate word of mouth word of mouth media value through beauty editors and other people, um, you know, retailer partners, celebrities, and use the models actually to tell us uh, which of all those factors are, are most important.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, so let's go, let's dive into some of the kind of social media influencers, creators, effects on sales, those things. Because I think what's interesting for me is you started your career on the kind of Nielsen side. Imagine IRI similarly has a focus on like TV, right? Which is very much direct response. That's why you might use it to measure sales, right? Because I, I showed an ad, did people buy things after the ad, right? It's not really about creating community or trust or you know, desirability, which I love that term. So I'd love to hear about kind of one, you've had the perspective of seeing social media from the beginning to today, right? Particularly over the last nine years at Estee Lauder. How have you, how do you guys evaluate the effect on buying, right? On the buying cycle for consumers and how has that changed over the last, call it nine or 10 years uh, when it comes to social creators, influencers, the whole thing?
1: Yeah, there's just so much we can talk about here, Connor. I mean, the measurement we started with when we looked at the EMV, which internally we call influencer EMV to make sure that we're distinguishing it and focusing on influencers and creators. Yep. So early on in the industry, I mean, think back to 2014, 2015, and you taught us that makeup creators could, could show these full face um, looks by, you know, creators using multiple products. For smaller brands that had no other paid media support, it was very easy to see that their share growth was driven in large part by fostering the sense of community from influencers. Today it's, it's more evolved and everyone knows kind of the tricks of the trade about how to work with influencers and creators. And so it's harder um, in my experience to see a direct relationship between EMV and share of market, market share. So that's why we use the marketing mix models that I was describing earlier, because it's able to tease apart and not to get too nerdy or techie on what models do. But essentially what they're doing is they're all of us being equal, looking at all different marketing levers and the models tell us what's the incremental contribution either to desirability, traffic or sales based on each of those levers. So that's why we use the marketing mix models, because it is harder to see in the measurement. The other thing I would say that we do, uh, we had done a lot in the past is a lot of benchmarking just to find out where does our brand rank in tribe? where does our brand rank in other um, tools similar to tribe. And we're actually looking at that again to see how do we compete better? How do we make sure that our brands are on the forefront of this and then partnering with them to make sure that we've got strong earned media strategies and that we're driving those strategies by looking at the benchmarking. So we kind of do all of that and, and, I have fun with it because I'm passionate about earned media. I'm passionate about measurement and I'm passionate about driving the measurement to, to create business outcomes.
0: Yeah. How, in terms of other tools, so let's just assume tribe is great, right? So, well, at least you're using it. We know that much, right? So outside (laughs) of tribe, what are some of the other kind of systems, tools, measurement, um, and we'll kind of, we'll send it around the kind of social media kind of ecosystem, um, that you found have been really valuable to you, your teams, your brands. Anything that you think is is really great.
1: Yeah. So in our media, we look at influencer on one side of the equation. So we look at you and some other tools around the world. And then on the other side of our media, when I mentioned about word of mouth, we have different technologies to measure word of mouth. Um, we call it word of mouth media value. And then I should also say that what's important to us is we have a variety of tools to do social listening. So how can you look through or examine comments and ratings and review sites, or can you look through Mm -hmm. blogs and forums and even parsing when people say good and bad things about you in social media? So we use, I call that social listening analytics and there are different technologies to do that. I mean, all of it, like the way I think about it, uh, Conor is, I want to have on my team people who are well-versed across all these analytic techniques because the, the business question coming from our brands it could be varied, it could be very specific, how do we win in our media? Or it could be, how do we find those trends of what people are talking about? And so you need to you know, employ different techniques to find that. So in social listening analytics, the, the tools that we use there will use machine learning to parse through and understand what are the kind of conversations people are, are talking about? Or I mean, even go and think about ratings and review sites. When people produce a rating on uh, brand.com site or in Arito.com site there's such richness there mm-hmm. in the verbatims that they talk about but to figure it out on your own just by reading the the reviews will take you forever so that's why we use machine learning and the technologies that we use and what that does is it helps put buckets around the conversation so if there's let's call it um, a foundation conversation there's going to be a, a conversation about coverage is it a full coverage or a meeting coverage product or if it's in um pigmentation is the pigmentation of of the color we have is it paying off and so understanding those those conversations that there can be discussions Uh, we have one brand that does a lot in having scent so is the scent payoff happening well and do people are they buying the product because they they find the scent attractive so again um, earned media measurement is one part social listening analytics is another part and then Then applying that through marketing mix modeling is is how I think about. it. Yeah, I think the reviews. It's it's a fun job. So
0: rich in terms of the volume, and there's just so much of it too, right? Because there's also, I mean, it's not, and it's not just about your company, right? There's a lot of other companies out there. It's like, oh wow, like consumers are really attracted to this, right? Like we should pay attention here. Um, Yeah, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, I mean the the amount of trends you can find. So you know, in color products, you want to figure out is there a shift in the kind of red lipstick—is it moving? And like, what kind of finish would there be within lipstick? Uh, within skin, skincare, has been super interesting, as, as you know. Um, during the pandemic, no one wore makeup, and so they all wore uh, and focused on skincare. And in the skin influencers is what we call some of those creators and derm influencers, as you know. So we've been studying them and what they're saying and what trends they're tipping off and how consumers are responding to that. So. You know, again, when you think about Media, it it's measurement of what people are saying about you. But again, looking into figuring out what those trends are and responding to those trends is, is a large part of what our company is focused on.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I, so one of the things I always thought was interesting was kind of you know, forward-looking versus kind of lagging indicators, right? So generally, sales is kind of a lagging indicator of what's happened leading up to that point. Um, have you found that there are particular signals that are more forward-looking versus kind of lagging in either review data, social data, anything else?
1: I would say um, when we talk about the market mix models, they do analyze the past, but they are the best way, in my opinion, to figure out where you should spend your money in the future. And mm-hmm. what what I mean by that is there are it's really hard to parse through a lot of the different um, signals that you have. So if you could figure out, and we do, that a TikTok campaign in the past seems like it's working and resonating, the marketing mix models that we use will actually tell us that. And so um, we've analyzed for a couple of our brands, some preliminary campaigns, let's say within TikTok, that showed enormous uh, ROI. And what Mm -hmm. is fun in talking to the brand folks is that they'll say, well, that was a campaign before we really had a good strategy against it. And now we do. So imagine how we can actually know that the future campaigns that we're doing. So my point is you you need to analyze the past in order to influence the future. And again, my view is marketing mix models really do help you with that. Um, I yeah. think the other thing that I think about is how can you use some of this influencer EMV data from you guys and put a forecast through it to figure out what are those trends? So there's a fair mm-hmm. amount in not my group, but in other parts of my um the, the function that I sit in, where they're spending a lot of time thinking through how can you use these inputs and put forecasting models through them to figure out the future. So it's used in multiple ways. And I think the fun part is there's no one right way to do it. And every uh, application is different. But for me, when I think about all these different analytic tools, I hope the, the viewers here don't misinterpret. It's not the analytics for sake of analytics. It's really, really in service of brands and marketers mm-hmm. making better decisions, and so the more a marketing analytics person who might be listening to this thinks about it. Uh, you know, in my opinion, the reason why I bring this up is I interview a lot of people, and it seems like there's some people who are heavy duty into the measurement for the sake of measurement. And I try to mm-hmm. t- teach them that it, you know, it's measurement in service of an outcome. And and yeah. my team knows that, and they know that I'm passionate about that.
0: How much of it is you bringing stuff to the brands that you observe versus them coming to you with questions that they want to have answered?
1: Uh, It's a mix of both. I established the function that I sit in. Really, I was brought in as an analytics person to build the marketing mix capability and then learn quickly that we needed to focus on market share reporting, which is a relatively easy thing to do. Which we're still doing today i mean measuring market share is incredibly important and, and very proud of the work that we do there the the questions that we get it's it's a mix sometimes our team will go through an analysis we have been launching and, and studying something we call them competitive deep dives where we will get a request from a brand as, as you asked and then go study that competitor from soup to nuts to figure out what are they doing to win and then what are the answers or what could we recommend that our brands do to respond So that's an instance of a brand asking for it. Um, Within the earned media space, a lot of it is us seeing what the patterns are and then basically putting forward our recommendations of how earned media strategies should change based on the trends that we're seeing from your data and from competitive data. So um, that's the fun part is any good analysis can be coming from anywhere and, you know, who, who asked the question? Sometimes if the brand asks the question, you know they're going to do something with it. And sometimes if we observe something and then put that forward, it might take a couple more conversations to, to get that through. And one of the ways that I was asked to think about that is, uh, you know, Doug, how can you scale all this great learning that you do? And that's why I'm now in charge of our enterprise marketing training so that I can build okay. training programs to cascade those learnings across
0: the world. And that's the center of excellence component, right? That's right. The learning center of excellence that I'm in charge of. Very cool. I want to dive into that. I want to keep going here on this one a little bit more though. So cool. So let's talk about kind of other outcomes you're driving. So I think one of the things that is fascinating to me about the internet is that, you know, it's allowed people to create community around topics that maybe they would have been really disconnected in the past. Right. So whether that's like, Hey, in high school, you might've been one of three people that wanted to be a makeup artist. But now you can find a community with 100,000 people that want to be makeup artists online and be a part of that community. And I think similarly, you have that around brands, right? Where like, hey, I am part of the Glam Glow community, right? This is, I am attached to this brand. I'm so into it. Um, And I think that uh, creators, earned media influencers um, are one of the primary ways that that gets driven, right? Or one of the bigger drivers for it. Um, and I think the way to kind of measure that outcome is you can say, hey, you know, the actual community, like the number of people following me online has grown as a result of this. And I remember you bringing something to me that was pretty fascinating. And again, you know, makes sense once you think about it, but wouldn't be obvious on the surface, which was basically you looked at said, hey, the more influencer coverage we get, the more earned media we get, the faster our you know followings grow for our brands. Is that something that you're still seeing and have there been any other learnings like that that you thought were, were interesting, kind of connecting the dots across the channels?
1: Yeah, I think in, in our media, it, there is this knock on effect so that when something goes viral or people talk about it, then there's a, a virality, as you know, that happens with it. And so that can actually explode the number of conversations. So I would say that the relationship uh, earlier on in the influencer space so when influencers talked about you, that that drove um, conversation for brands themselves and there was this halo effect to the brands. It's, it's harder in the mature beauty industry now to have that happen, but that doesn't mean we don't try. Um, I think yeah. the other thing that, we'll, that, that what you're bringing up is this, this larger ecosystem, how do you think about it? So in our case, we use the language of paid, owned, and earned. And we say, how do you make all of these levers work more effectively together? And you know, some of that revolves around organization design, meaning whoever's in charge of paid may not be in charge of earned, who may not be in charge of owned. Um, and brands need to work across those functions to make that happen. So there, there is a halo effect that can happen when you start to think about a campaign from the beginning. What is the objective? What's the brief? What's the consumer target? How many, ad- you know, more consumers do I need to reach? What's the part of the funnel I want to reach? And then what are the components of paid? What are the components of owned? And what are the components of earned? And plan that all together. That's where the sweet spot happens. And that's the kind of training that we're, we're trying to do within our organization to reinforce those principles.
0: Mm-hmm. In terms of, so let's talk, we'll talk owned, earned, paid, whatever, um, all TikTok. So I want to talk TikTok for a second, just because I think that, when I talk to marketers, like I was talking to Amy, the founder of Tower 28 yesterday, she was on a panel we did and um, TikTok, 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 that's all I care about anymore. She's like, honestly, <laughs> I'm not as like I'm, she's like, I'm kind of trying to dial back a little bit of my investment in Instagram, which I'm not saying that's what you should do, but you know, that yeah. was one of the discussions we were having. Right. And so, you know, what have been some of your learnings about TikTok so far, you know, from an analytics perspective, as well as what your brands are seeing? I have to imagine that it's a it's a hot topic within Estée Lauder as well and an area of focus for the for the marketers. So talk to me about TikTok a little bit and what what you're yeah. saying.
1: Well, it is a hot topic at our company and I know that Summer Tejwani, my friend from Two Face was on one of your podcasts and she talked about uh, that to the to the extent that it's so new and how we've all had to learn and transform how we we compete there because, you know, 2019, no one was really talking about it, or let's say 2018, no one was talking about TikTok. So, you know, I would say at this point in its evolution, we recognize clearly the importance of TikTok and, you know, the various ways that we need to show up and it's in a couple different ways, right? If creators discover us, or in some cases rediscover us, meaning our brands or our products, we need to react to that. And then on the same, on the, on the other hand, we need to work to create our own campaigns, and we've had really good success with some recent campaigns, if I may kind of call out a couple of examples. So <laughs> Estee Lauder, uh, Estee Lauder, our namesake brand, launched a TikTok campaign a year ago called Night Done Right. That was yep. the hashtag, and it drove nearly 13 billion views and wow. led to the creation of almost 2 million videos. So its challenge used you know diverse creators to educate a younger audience and how important it is to take care of your skin at night. And the product um, there is called Advanced Night Repair for Estee Lauder. Then our Clinique brand, which is um, an overall skincare and makeup brand, but it has a lot of affinity in the acne space. So they created a Zit Happens campaign on mm-hmm. TikTok, and that became a viral sensation. And there were nearly 10 billion views of that. Um, and that created about 700,000 views in the, on the app. And then finally, uh, those are kind of campaigns that brands do, but, you know, a lot of virality happens to you, and it's it's really super exciting and interesting, right? When that happens, so Clinique has this product that was born in 1971 called um, Almost Lipstick. It's in the Black Honey um, color, so it's called Black Honey Almost Lipstick. As I said, it was born in 1971, but it went viral in the last year, and the number of creators who discovered it, especially diverse uh, creators and and diverse consumers. Made the the product go viral, and so then the question is, what do you do once that happens? Yeah, how do you make sure you you harness that? So, I'm really in awe of our brand teams who not only create these new campaigns but react to those viral moments. And you really have to be on top of it. And everybody in the brand is studying TikTok every day. So suffice to suffice it to say, it's an incredibly valuable platform for us, but it's not the only thing that we do within yep. the earned media space. And to your point earlier, like we use your data to dimensionalize where is all the uh, influencer earned media value coming from. And Instagram is still the primary platform. Yep. It's just that TikTok is, is emerging and everyone knows that you need to play differently. And, you know, this is obvious, but I'll say it anyway. You cannot take a piece of content that you create in Instagram and put it onto TikTok. It just, it won't work. Yep. And, yep. and everybody knows that, right? But then the question is, well, how do you find the right creators and how do you, make sure that those creators have the right brief so that they produce authentic content. If you're working with them, it's, it's not easy to do that. And again, I'm, I'm in awe of our brand teams who
0: have cracked the code to make these really great campaigns. Yeah. The, uh, I wouldn't say everybody actually knows. I think the people are still doing it. <laughs> right? I mean, cause you know, it costs a lot of time and money and effort to, to create really an investment, stuff, right? But it's, it's
1: definitely an investment. Yes.
0: But I think that the, the devil is in the kind of nuance, right? Where, um you know there's a there are specific inside jokes there's a specific understanding to the way that you choose music there's a specific understanding to the community that's there and what they think is interesting that has a big effect on you know a uh, piece of content success and so um yeah it's it's uh it's a real investment to be able to do great content across all these different platforms but um, I think if you can get it right, obviously the payoffs there, right? The TikTok make totally. me buy it trend uh, <laughs> that tends to occur.
1: Yeah. And then the problem you'll have is TikTok make me buy it. And then we go out of stock and then, you know, how do you re- react? I've always thought about the uh,
0: supply chain in the era of social media and virality, it just sounds like a mess. Cause it's like something hits hot and you're like, well, how am I supposed to predict that? Right? Like it's so hard to know that's coming.
1: Yeah, we, we do have conversations within our supply chain teams, like how do you react to that? And I don't think anyone's really cracked the code on it. It's really more, again, about reacting to the virality when it happens to you. How do you work with a creator to make sure it's okay if you want to repost their content? And oftentimes then, if the product goes out of stock, then you can come back when it comes back in stock and have a, another campaign related to that. Hey, you love this product. Sorry, it was out of stock, and, and now we have it in stock again. So some of our brands have done that.
0: Yeah, I talked to the ColourPop team about that a little bit. And I think because they've got a vertically integrated model and they've got their manufacturing basically in the same house as their their marketing down in in Southern California, they can react a little bit more quickly, which I think is nice in those circumstances. Sure. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about kind of, you know, you, right? So you, the industry, and then we'll do one kind of fun end of show question. So, I think for you, obviously, you've achieved a lot of success, regardless of whether it's analytics or not analytics. Um, You know, it's represented by a a very large leadership role at a large public company. So, what would you say, you know, to the younger people that also want to get into kind of more senior leadership roles over time? What would you say are some of the things that you've learned about leadership, um, as well as just about, you know, what what do you think are some of the philosophies that led you to where you are today? Um, in terms of how you operate within a business
1: well it you know i would say there's i never feel like i'm a good leader i always feel like i'm always learning and growing but i think one thing about being a good leader is that you always have to pay attention to what's important to grow your team you know good leaders are in service to their team Mm -hmm. and that means you know whatever you can do to make something easier to get done or to build a relationship with someone so that you can have your team be successful? And how do you have moments where you give your team opportunities to shine in front of senior leaders? So I think about that a lot. Um, I think the other thing about your, your leadership team is to pick the right leaders, give them the strategic vision and the roadmap, and then get out of their way to execute but then be there to answer questions and steer them in areas of uncertainty. And of course, during the pandemic and even coming out of the pandemic, there's been a lot of uncertainty. How do we go back to the office? What does that look like? How do people respond to that? And how do I support my leaders when they make those decisions? So I don't know if I'm a good leader. I try (laughs) really hard. I I think about it every day. Like, what can I do better today? And, you know, there's no one right way to do that, but I, I do. I think about it every day. And I think that, what can I do to get person X to where they want to go in the career? And one of the things I started to do was to spend time with the the younger uh, team members, um, the junior ones, the ones we just hired in the company and spend time with them so that I could get smarter about getting them to where they want to go faster. Because I think the worst thing could be that you had someone leave your group or, or the company and they wanted to go somewhere and you didn't know that. And so that has happened to me. In the last couple of years, so I strive to be better to find out well, what is what is it that you want to do, and how can I get you where you want to go? You know, it's not always going to work, but as long as you you try, um, that's that's the idea. I'm also really a big fan of having um, different leaders talk about talent. So you know, how can I get person X to a different place, to a brand, or to a different function? And I spend a lot of time thinking through that. And then in general, I, I try to be a mentor when I, Connor, when I was growing up, I never really had a mentor. So now I'm in a couple different programs internally, and then I'm a mentor for Adweek. And that means being a, getting a, a mentee outside of my company. Um, I'm a mentor for our LGBT group. I, again, I try to pay it forward a little bit to spend time with younger people to make sure that uh, if, if I have wisdom, I can impart that, or I can at least talk to them about where they want to go and
0: well, and honestly, I think that is what kind of makes a good leader, right? Is you're, you know, you're trying to think about how you help these people get to where they want to go, right? I know I was talking with uh, mm-hmm. Scott Friedman, who's the CEO of Rare Beauty and was the CEO of Nick's uh, recent, or before that, and just is, uh, you know, very well regarded by the people that he's worked with as a leader. And uh, I was talking to him about it. He's like, yeah, he's like my job, he's like, what I view my job as, as CEO is to get the best possible people right so you get the best people in the right positions and then really try to remove as many barriers as i can right just how can i exactly help them succeed and let them go right and then again if it's not working or it's not the right fit you know it's you know uh then you make a decision but really getting the right people into the right places and then letting them thrive is i think the way the way to win in the long run Exactly. It sounds like you have that conversation with everybody you have on this
1: podcast, <laughs> which is good to hear. I mean, I think uh, everyone should be thinking about ways to drive leadership and that younger people, again, listening to this, they there's no soon enough time to talk about what it, what it means to be a good leader. Because the sooner you can think about that in your own career, if you're very young, the, the more you're going to get to where you need to go.
0: Yeah. And I mean, honestly, part of the reason I asked that question is I try to think about it myself, right? similar kind of growth mindset, like, okay, like, I don't think I was particularly good at the beginning. Um, I'm not great now, but I'm okay. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you, uh, yeah. And I think you find, like, one of the things that I've enjoyed most, or I've, I've observed that I think is interesting is like, um, you know, when we first started the company, I read an obscene amount of business literature and you'd like find these patterns. It'd be like three different people describing the same thing in three different ways, right? all getting to some kind of core Mm -hmm. truth. And so I think when you hear different perspectives on one thing, oh, okay, like you can start to get to your own version of that that um, is a combination of other people's perspectives. Um, Okay, so last question, you know, obviously your last kind of nine years or so has been in the beauty industry, but before that you touched a variety of different industries on the consumer goods side. Um, What have you noticed that is different about beauty versus other industries and maybe what are some of the you know um, yeah talk to me a little bit about that like how do those two how do these different industries kind of operate from your perspective the ones you've touched at least
1: yeah so I've been in beauty nine years at Estee Lauder and seven years oh yeah on, so sixteen yeah. years total and you know the whole social media movement that and earned media movement that that we've been living through let's let's say it's relatively recent mm-hmm. so I've always wondered what is it what would it be like to work at a at a traditional CPG company trying to make your way through how to harness and leverage social media. So I guess what I would say is for those people watching this who are not in the beauty industry, how could you get into the beauty industry? A, because it's growing, as I mentioned earlier, it's growing roughly 10% globally every year. And then secondly, um, because earned media and social media moves so quickly, I would say just being in one industry and going deep on that and then understanding how those trends are evolving has been super interesting. Mm -hmm. So we talked about this earlier, but, you know, for example, makeup led the way five, six, seven years ago with creators teaching consumers how to be creative. And then as we all know, during the pandemic, no one was wearing makeup. Everyone then said they're going to take care of their skin and their hair actually. And, you know, Fragrance as another category had a different distinct opportunity for growth. A lot of people were gifting fragrance and a lot of people were buying fragrance for themselves, especially in the the luxury fragrance part. So how do you basically check those trends and and really tap into them in the beauty industry is what I find um, incredibly interesting. And then I think only in beauty does a consumer see such power in their voice about how a creator or a consumer, you know, someone with very little following, as, as we said, in TikTok can go viral. So, you know, I don't know if we talked about this, but 10 years ago, it was the beauty brand as the authority working with the beauty editor at a publication and the consumer consumed that content. And that's all been flipped on its head, as we mm-hmm. all know. And that's exciting because now the consumer is in control and the consumer and I think for the for the brand, the exciting thing is to just pay that much more attention to what the consumer is saying. What do they like? What are they looking for? And as we said, ratings and review sites, you find out how people like or don't like your products. And that's just such a rich place to, to understand that. But more importantly, in the trends, you have the opportunity to listen to that that creator, listen to that consumer. And if you listen closely, you were, you will learn a lot. And I think all of us recognize that. It's just how do you focus on that? And- So what my job is largely at my company is to bring those insights to the brands so that they can action Mm -hmm. on them and bring those insights for wherever they come from. And, you know, for me, it's been really fun to work in the beauty industry. Um, It's been fun to see the growth. I work for incredibly well-respected and well-run company, and I couldn't be um, more proud of that. So uh, it's been, it's been a good, um, good run I'm not done um, but I don't I don't see myself going anywhere else because of the richness of, of this industry.
0: yeah for sure and I think the depth of knowledge you have about an industry you know compounds over time right and becomes increasingly valuable it absolutely does um, I think that that yeah, absolutely I've seen does. that with because um, I observe a lot of entrepreneurs as well and like you know it depends on what you're going for right what your goals are but You'll see people, it's like, I can't remember who, it it was like, there's a guy who co-founded a company, it was called like PeopleSoft, then he sold that, then he started another one that was in like the HR, you know, uh, software space. And then the third one was Workday, right? Workday is obviously done very, very well, tens of billions of dollars. And it's like, if you're going for economic outcomes, like depth of expertise um, is really valuable from a career perspective. If you're going for a a variety of experiences, right? Then that's a different goal. Um, and won't I think necessarily have the same expected economic outcomes. Um, but anyways, okay. Enough with work stuff. I think that's true. uh, So we're going to do one fun (laughs) end of show question and I'm actually going to let you pick from two. So you get to, you get to choose which question you want to answer or you can answer both. So, um, so, uh, The first one is, you know, you love to travel, right? So you gave us a bunch of recommendations on our uh, safari trip down, uh, uh, and I really appreciated that. So one question, one option (laughs) is, um, you know, where's your next big trip? Like, what's the next bucket list place you guys want to go to? Um, And then the Uh, second one is you're a notoriously good chef. And so I want to know <laughs> I am <I'm, laughs> no. But you're you're Oh I to answer both. both <laughs> no, gone. but you're you're getting into your journey of uh of of cooking. And uh what's your latest dish that you've made that you're uh that you, you're excited about? Or maybe you're still you're not cooking anymore. I don't know. I'm going to do the cooking one first. So I am notoriously a <laughs>
1: horrible chef. I'm horrible in the kitchen, but here's what happened. During the pandemic, when I couldn't go to the grocery store, I signed up for Whole ah. Fresh, which is one of those meal delivery services. And every week, you get three meals, let's say, and then everything comes prepared perfectly. And Connor, I am becoming this little mini man, <laughs> chef. I'm like, little Doug, little Doug Jensen who couldn't cook, who couldn't boil water, who couldn't cook co- pasta is making these incredible so people who know me well they laugh at me because i've been posting instagram stories of all my meals and they're like yeah enough of the meals you've done that let me go over to the uh, safari questions so i'm super interested in africa and safaris i've been on two um i've been to near kruger national park in south africa and then i've been in the serengeti in tanzania and i am dying to go my next big trip connor is going to be in botswana the Safari there is in the mm. river delta, and then next door is Namibia, where it's like a desert, so the combination of desert and delta. And um, if anyone wants any advice about safaris, I would love to give advice. I have a, this is fun. So, my South Africa safari, we went to a camp, and I was introduced to uh, our what we call our ranger, and our ranger is the guy who takes you on the safari. He then left that camp, started his own business, and he's who personally took me to Serengeti. In, in, wow. In so now I've got, and he's emailing me every week, like, when are we going? When are we going? When are we going to Botswana? I'm like, yeah, Exactly. Let's get the world under a little bit of control. That's just probably a stupid thing to think. But yeah, that's my next big trip. It's a oh, that's awesome.
0: And uh, I love the HelloFresh. That's funny. That's, I mean, it's cool. I mean, I know, right? it's awesome <laughs> that it unlocked that for you, right? That they were able to create that experience. Oh, totally. Um,
1: yeah, oh, totally. HelloFresh, if you're listening, I am a micro, micro, micro.
0: <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> well, now a little bit bigger, right? <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Doug, I really appreciate you taking up the time. I'm so glad we we're able to make this happen after so many years of working together. And um, I yeah. love
1: this, Connor. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Yeah, it's and and, um, really and
0: glad you're continuing to do the mentorship stuff. I think it's gonna be really valuable to people. Awesome. Very All right, good. Bye, Doug.
1: Be a friend. Tell a friend. And subscribe. Earned by
0: Creator IQ. Creator IQ is your all-in-one solution to grow, manage, scale, and measure your influencer marketing program. Ready to unlock the power of the creator economy? Get started with a demo today at CreatorIQ.com.